0: We um, have been in a series called The Parables of the Kingdom of God, and over the last few weeks, we've been examining the parables that Jesus told about the kingdom of God. Um, And Jesus has used the imagery a lot of seeds and planting and uh, growing and harvesting, and and, um, he's been using seeds a lot because seeds are small, they're seemingly um, insignificant, um, and and they're hardly noticeable, right? Yet seeds hold within themselves all the power they need to grow. And so um, it's, it's an incredibly apt um, uh, analogy or metaphor, however you want to say it. But uh, in the parable of the growing seeds that we talked about last week, uh, Jesus told us about a farmer who planted seeds and then just kind of step back and let the seeds do their own thing, right? They, they grew in and of themselves. And actually, in the parable, Jesus says the farmer had no idea how the seeds were even growing. The farmer just cast the seeds and then just walked away and let the seeds do its, its work. They sprouted all on their own. They grew all on, on, on its own It bare fruit all on its own. And the sowing of the kingdom seed is a work of the Messiah, right? And it's, it's Jesus unleashing this mysterious power that, that works aside from human power. It works apart from human behavior. Like nothing can affect this kingdom work that, that Jesus is doing, that the kingdom of God is doing. Satan can't destroy it. American politics can't destroy it, like, uh, you know, like social justice morality can't come against it. No other religion can come against what the kingdom of God is doing, because we didn't plant the seed, right? We didn't sow the seed. We, we don't grow the seed. Not, nothing we do can affect the seed's growth. So today we're going to dive into the parable of the weeds in Matthew 13, but first... I wanted to share a quick story with you. I normally do. Uh, I wanted to share a story with you um, about right before we moved here. When, when my family, right before my family and I moved here, we lived in a small, old church parsonage in a small Nebraska town called Beatrice. And this parsonage um, was in desperate need of tender love and care desperate need inside and outside and uh, one of the biggest issues we had was the weeds in the yard Um, we had a weed called graspers and this is what it looked like yeah yeah burrs, little stickers little sticky sticker things and um, the plant that these stickers were attached to were all over our backyard all over And so um, it was unusable. Um, And so when we first got there, Robin spent a considerable amount of time crouched down with a gardening shovel trying to... Dig out the, the root of these weeds because um, you had to get the entire root or else the, it would grow back, right? So she's crouched down with a shovel, trying to get all these these weeds out by the root. And she came in thinking one day, thinking she made a pretty good dent. Oh, by the end of the summer, the weeds grew back even thicker than before. Um, we didn't realize that to get rid of these weeds completely, like we had to kill them, probably with a pesticide. And not only us, but like every other yard had to do it too because the seeds of this weed spread very easily. Um, Whenever we would mow the grass the seed would spread or, or animal like the burrs would get stuck to animals and the animals would carry them to you know different yards and that kind of thing and so unless there was like a coordinated effort amongst all the houses in our neighborhood to get rid of this weed what you know trying to get rid of it was like it was useless. And so we were stuck with with these weeds in, in an almost unusable backyard. Have you ever had to deal with pain in the butt weeds? I think if you've ever been out in grass, you've experienced some kind of weed in some form or fashion. Some weeds are harmful, some weeds are poisonous, some weeds are just really ugly. All weeds are invasive. All weeds are invasive, and all weeds threaten to take over whatever bit of real estate they inhabit. Weeds, uh, weeds never just stick to a little patch of land either. Weeds try to expand as far and as wide as they can. Weeds are constantly taking more and more. So today, we are examining the parable of the weeds in Matthew 13. Uh, but before we dive into the scriptures, pray with me this morning. God, we love you, we thank you for your word, and we just ask that it would pierce our souls today, that we would hear the truth of your word and we would apply it to our lives. We love you, God, we thank you, in Jesus' name, amen, amen if you have a Bible, you can open it up, turn it on to Matthew uh, chapter 13. Um, So to this point in Matthew, Jesus has been establishing his Messiahship. He's been establishing who he is and what he came to do. I submit to you today for the purpose of giving himself credibility when he started talking about the kingdom of God. Because The things that he had to say about the kingdom of God were so radical. They were so different from what anybody else thought. that If he didn't have credibility, people would have thought he was nuts. And so um, Jesus is trying to unveil the secrets of the kingdom of God through the mysteries of his parables. And the mystery or the parable of the weeds is no different. So Matthew chapter 13, starting in verse 24, it says this, here's another story Jesus told. The kingdom of heaven, or the kingdom of God, is like a farmer who planted good seed in his field. But that night, as the workers slept, his enemy came and planted weeds among the wheat, then slipped away. When the crop began to grow and produce grain, the weeds also grew. The farmer's workers went to him and said, Sir, the field where you planted that good seed is full of weeds. Where did they come from? An enemy has done this, the farmer exclaimed. Should we pull out the weeds, they asked? No, he replied. You'll uproot the wheat if you do. Let both grow together until the harvest. Then I will tell the harvesters to sort out the weeds, tie them into bundles and burn them and put the wheat in the barn. So Jesus tells this parable, and then he just lets it hang, and he moves on to another parable, parable of the mustard seed and the leaven, I believe, uh, which we'll get to next week. But, so he tells this parable, then he just moves on. But his disciples like, are really confused. They're like, hang on, hang on, rewind it back. Like, please explain this to us, Jesus. And so he does. Verse 36, then leaving the crowds outside, Jesus went into the house. His disciples said, please explain to us the story of the weeds in the field. Jesus replied, The Son of Man is the farmer who plants the good seed. The field is the world, and the good seed represents the people of the kingdom. The weeds are the people who belong to the evil one. The enemy who planted the weeds among the wheat is the devil. The harvest uh, is the end of the world, and the harvesters are the angels." Just as the weeds are sorted out and burned in the fire, so it will be at the end of the world. The Son of Man will send his angels and they will remove from his kingdom everything that causes sin and all who do evil. And the angels will throw them into the fiery furnace where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in their father's kingdom. Anyone with ears to hear should listen and understand. So Jesus tells this parable, which is seemingly an an allegory of good versus evil, right? How evil is going to be dealt with in the end. And it would appear that the meaning is pretty straightforward, and it is, um, but much like the parable of the sower and much like the parable of the lamp and the parable of the good seeds, this is so much more layered than just our our face value reading of it. There's there's so much more going on. Jesus is talking about way more than than what it appears. Um, And today I want to make some observations of this parable that are going to help us understand the secrets of the kingdom of God that are wrapped up in the mysteries of this parable. So the first observation I want to make Jesus breaks the laws of agriculture to make a theological point. It's not like super spiritual like observation, but Jesus breaks the laws of agriculture to make a theological point. What do I mean? In the parable of the sower, uh, Jesus uses, uh, or like the parable of the sower, Jesus again uses a straight line story about farming. Uh, but it, like this one would cause farmers and gardeners to kind of cringe. Like, what? Because like, any good gardener or, and any farmer that's worth anything would know, you do not let weeds grow with your crops. You absolutely do not let weeds grow with your crop. But what did Jesus say in verse 27? The, farmer, the farmer's workers went to him and said, Sir, the field uh, where you planted the good seed is full of weeds. Where did they come from? An enemy has done this, the farmer exclaimed. Should we pull out the weeds, they asked. No, you'll uproot the wheat if you do. So in this parable, it seems to directly contradict what Jesus said in the parable of the sower, um, and, and it kind of sounds like Jesus doesn't know what he's talking about. If you remember, I want to uh, remind you what he says in the parable of the sower, uh, Matthew 13, verse 7, it says, other, weed, other seeds fell among thorns or weeds that grew up and choked out the tender plants. So in the parable of the sower, the, the seeds grew up among weeds and they were choked out, they died. But in this parable, which is just a few verses later, Jesus, Jesus says the farmer is like, no, let, let, let the weeds grow with the weed. And we'll take care of them after at you know at the harvest. So like it kind of sounds like Jesus doesn't know what he's talking about, but again, Jesus is not trying to be agriculturally accurate. He's trying to make a theological point. He's trying to teach his audience about the true nature of the kingdom of God, and he's using commonplace things in the world to do it. So that's the first observation. Not super long, not super spiritual, but I think it's, it's important. Jesus breaks the laws of agriculture to make his theological point. The next observation I want to make is this. Jesus changes what the seeds represent. Jesus changes what the seeds represent. In the very first parable, the, the parable of the sower, what are the seeds? Do you remember? The word of God. The seeds in the parable of the sower are the word of God, and, and the word of God is Jesus. Well, in the parable of the growing seeds, the seeds aren't the word of God. The seeds are the kingdom of God. But now, in this parable, he changes what the seeds are again. The, the, it's not the word of God. It's not the kingdom of God. The, the seeds in this parable are the people of the kingdom. The, the, the seeds in this parable are you and I. The people of the king, the people whose lives are producing the fruit of the kingdom. Matthew thirteen thirty-eight it says the good seed represents the people of the kingdom. So three parables involving seeds, and they all they all represent something different. Um, this time the seed represents the fruit of what's sown by God. So I think it's also worth noting in this parable that Jesus attaches an adjective to the seeds. In the parable of the sower and in the parable of the growing seeds, he just calls them seeds. In this parable, he calls the seeds good, which to me implies that there's bad seeds. We'll let that hang. So that's the first observation. Jesus breaks the laws of agriculture to make a theological point. Second, Jesus changes what the seeds represent. Um, And next, next observation, Jesus identifies an enemy. Jesus identifies an enemy. Unlike the parable of the sower, unlike the parable of the growing seeds, in this parable, there's an enemy who's at work against the farmer. He's trying to completely sabotage the work of the farmer. He says the enemy comes to plant weeds among the good seeds. The enemy doesn't dig the seeds up the enemy doesn't wait till the the crops sprout and then pull them out. He just sows weeds. He sows the the bad seeds of weeds in amongst what the farmer is doing. It's really subtle, but it it also destroys. Um, The enemy... I think in, in my opinion, should be viewed as the crux of this parable right there's there's really no threat to the wheat uh, to the wheat the The weeds pose no threat to the, the wheat growing in the parable there's there's nothing that's stopping the wheat from growing. The enemy is the crux of this parable um, the crops the crop's growth are in, in no danger right like that's not the issue. Um, there's no question in the farmer's mind that the seeds are going to grow. The enemy should be the focal point of this uh, parable. And inconvenience to the farmer and his servants is at the heart of this dilemma. Inconvenience to the farmer and his servants are, are at the heart of this theological issue. The farmers are the, uh, the farmer's servants are the ones who have the most intense feelings about these weeds, right? They're they're like, oh my gosh, the weeds, we got to pull them out, right? We got to do something. We got to pull them out. That's their straight line, right-handed solution to dealing with the problem. But the farmer has a very left-handed solution. He's like, no, we're not going to pull them out. The farmer actually gently helps them see like your right-handed solution to getting rid of the problem is actually, it's actually going to do more harm than good. It's going to actually pull out all the good things. The farmer seems to have this grander left-handed strategy in mind, Um, not not a strategy that involves like winning a miter battle over inconveniences, but a strategy that involves winning a war against his enemy once and for all. So this this next thing that I'm going to say is really hard for me to type and I'm like this just sounds wrong but based on what I read I'm like this is this is the thing the parable is saying that doing nothing is the preferred response to evil doing nothing is the preferred response to evil at least for the time being This parable insists that uh, the mysterious tactic of non-interference is the only way to deal with with the issue. It's the only way to to effectively handle the issue. It doesn't matter that the servants, like the farmer's servants, have this plausible way of taking care of, of the problem. The farmer insists on doing nothing. The farmer insists that his servants do nothing. Doing nothing is the preferred response to evil. The farmer actually, he actually tells them that the idea that they came up with, it'll actually cause more mayhem than anything else. Doing nothing is the preferred response to evil. The farmer assures his servants that the enemy and the weeds will be dealt with but later. So the, 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 the thrust of the parable is that until the harvest, evil is to be suffered, not resisted. The thrust of the parable is that evil is to be suffered, not resisted. As tough as a pill as that is to swallow because the farmer has all the power to take care of the weeds. The farmer can, can take care of all the weeds right now God can get rid of all the evil right now, but he doesn't. Evil is to be suffered, not resisted. The parable's uh, main point is is not an end times remedy to all the wrongs of the world. The parable's main point is a present day tolerance of them. This is hard. This is hard to... Uh, It's hard to teach because it goes against everything I've ever been taught, but I believe this is the meaning of the word of God today. Well, many people look at this this parable and they see how evil is going to be dealt with at the end. They see how God is going to um, separate the weeds from the wheat and he's going to burn the weeds at the end. We fail to see that until that day comes, we just have to deal with it. Until the harvest, until God comes and, and he um, imposes his justice, we just have to deal with the weeds. We just have to deal with the evil. We have to learn to live with the consequences of the enemy and his action actions. It's a tough pill to swallow. Again, when God has all the power to take care of it right now. That's tough to swallow, but remember, Jesus has an ever-increasing preference for the use of left-handed power, and this parable is a prime example of that. So, all of this makes me ask a question: like, what is the purpose of the enemy sowing the weeds? Or, yeah, what's the what's the purpose of the enemy doing that? If the enemy wanted to thwart the, the farmer's plans, isn't there a more effective way? Isn't there a more immediate way that he could do that? Well, if you think about it, the enemy has no power over the farmer's crops. He has, he has no power to affect the farmer's crops. The seed is already in the field. It's already growing. The farmer doesn't even know how it's growing, the parables say. It's growing all on its own. The enemy cannot affect it whatsoever. The kingdom's already here, the kingdom is already at work, and it will become God's perfect kingdom whether we assist it or not. There's absolutely nothing the enemy can do to stop it. His only hope is to try to disrupt and distract us. The only hope he has is to try to disrupt the process and distract us. This parable is so so layered. It's it's wild. Um, think about this. If there's nothing Satan can do to stop what God is doing, his only o- option is to distract us. So he's, get us thinking about things that don't matter. Get us fighting about things that don't matter. Let me show you what the weeds of distraction look like. I have a graph that I want you to see. So you, you're not going to be able to see that very well, but it, it paints the picture for you. So at the very top, it says, Christian Church, Jesus Christ, 30 AD. So the very top, that long green, is the, the church that Jesus established. And if you can see, underneath it directly are bubbles. They're little sects of church, little um, um, breakoffs of the church that Jesus started. And it, it happened within five years of Jesus ascending into heaven. So all of these little bubbles... Some are green, some are red, some are purple, some are blue, yellow. All of these little bubbles represent 60 plus Christian denominations. 60 plus Christian denominations. I'll say this. Jesus didn't come to establish a brand of Christianity. He just came to establish the church. And we have turned it into this. That If you see that red circle down towards the bottom, that says Assemblies of God. We're an Assemblies of God church, so our, our denomination, fellowship, whatever you want to call it, came a lot later in the process of all this, but this is what the seeds of distraction look like. Oh, you believe this about the word? Well, I believe this. New denomination. You, you believe that in baptism of the Holy Spirit and speaking in tongues... New denomination. Oh, you, you don't believe in uh, pre-tribulation rapture? New denomination. Like, this is what happened. And according to the Orange County Register, it's a, um, a news organization in Southern California. According to the Orange Cal- County Register, there are over 40,000 Christian denominations globally. 40,000. These are the weeds of distraction. This is, this is what the enemy does to sow weeds into the kingdom. If he can get us fighting amongst ourselves, if he can get us arguing amongst ourselves and focusing on things that don't matter, he's going to slow the process down. He can't stop the process, but he can slow it down. The weeds of distraction look like this. Next slide. Now, I'm not trying to open old wounds. I'm not trying to ruffle feathers or get in you know, up trouble or anything like that. But this is a distraction. This is a distraction. This is the weeds that Jesus was talking about. Now, my point has nothing to do with politics. So let's get that straight right now. It has nothing to do with politics. And I'm not, I'm not saying we're not allowed to have opinions on things like this. That's not what I'm saying. But as a follower of Jesus, I believe we have to spend our time doing the things that are going to help us bear the fruit of the kingdom. As followers of Jesus, we have to spend our time doing the things that are going to help us bear the fruit of the kingdom. I'll say it again. As followers of Jesus, we have to spend our time doing the things that are going to help us bear the fruit of the kingdom. And this, no matter where you fall on the issue, does not bear any fruit of the kingdom. This is about me, this is about my preferences, this is about my liberties, right? But the fruit of the kingdom has nothing to do with my preferences, it has nothing to do with my liberties, right, remember? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, and everything I just, I just listed off, there's not one syllable of personal liberties. This is a distraction. These are the weeds of distraction that Jesus is talking about. And it's not just limited to that. There's so many other things that I could could go on about. There's so many other things I could talk about. But this and things like this are the weeds of distraction that Jesus was talking about were sown by the enemy. So the first observation, Jesus breaks the laws of agriculture to make a theological point. Second observation, Jesus changes what the seeds represent. The third observation, Jesus identifies an enemy. And the next observation, the last observation I want to make today is this. Jesus identifies what kind of seeds or what kind of weeds are sown amongst the wheat. So to understand what I'm talking about, because if you re- just read your English translation, it doesn't tell you. But if you, if you read the original language, say you could all of a sudden read Greek and you read the original language, you would see like Jesus names a specific kind of weed. And the word that he uses for weed in the original language is zazania. Say that with me, say zazania. Zazania is a kind of darnal ryegrass, resembling wheat, except the grains are black. So the scientific name is lolium temulitum. Hopefully I got that right, but this is what it looks like. And there's a specific reason Jesus mentioned this weed when talking about what the enemy sowed with the wheat. Here's what Darnell ryegrass looks like compared to wheat. They look really, really similar. If you don't look closely enough, you won't be able to distinguish between the two. If you look too quickly, they're going to look exactly the same rye ryegrass and wheat look very, very, very similar. rye ryegrass is an annual uh, grass with long, uh, slender bristles, and it looks so much like wheat. What does this tell us about the relationship between the kingdom of God and the evil in this world? It, it seems to say that the efforts designed to get rid of evil are doomed are doomed to do exactly what the farmer suggests they'll do. Efforts to get rid of evil will do exactly what the farmer suggests they'll do. Since the only ones in the parable available to fight the battle against the weeds are either too confused or um, too busy to recognize the difference between good and evil, all they'll accomplish by pulling out the weeds is pulling up the wheat too. think about this. Since good and evil is commonly found in each and every one of us, if that's news to you, I'm I'm really sorry. Um, We're all capable of good. We're all capable of evil. Good and evil is found in each one of us. Any campaign to get rid of evil is a campaign that also gets rid of good. Any campaign to get rid of evil would actually be a campaign that would literally abolish everybody. If we're so concerned with getting rid of evil, we'll end up taking out everything that's good with it. The kingdom of God is a mystery. It's a mystery. Worship team, you guys can come back to the platform. Jesus uses, uh, he breaks the laws of agriculture to, to make a theological point. He changes what the seeds represent he identifies an enemy then he identifies what kind of weeds are sown amongst the weak if we understand what jesus is talking about if we understand what he's teaching about this immovable um, un- unassailable like all powerful kingdom then we arrive at this question is jesus telling us to be passive against evil Are, aren't, aren't we supposed to resist evil? These are, based on what I've said today, these are questions that might arise, these are very valid questions. Is Jesus telling us to chill out and look the other way when it comes to evil? Short answer is no, he's, he's not, right? Jesus doesn't say that it's morally wrong to resist evil. That's, that's not what he's teaching. What he's teaching is that resistance to evil doesn't save anybody And resistance to evil doesn't expand his kingdom. It doesn't grow his kingdom. Resistance to evil doesn't really have any effect on anything that God's trying to do. His kingdom is at work. The seeds have already been sown. They're already doing their thing. Nothing can stop it. So resisting evil is kind of a waste of time, basically, is what it's saying. We're free to make... um, make the case for right-handed solutions, right? To, to evil when it comes to this right-handed world. But we can't, we can't assume that our right-handed solutions are gonna make the world a better place, right? Like we can, we can focus on evil and we can focus on trying to get it out of the world, but we can't assume that that's gonna make the world a better place. Only the one who sows the good seed can do that. Only the one who sows the good seed will do that in his own good time. Don't confuse speaking out against evil with defending God's kingdom. God's kingdom grows just fine all on its own. God's kingdom grows <laughs> whether we assist it or not. We, the weeds cannot stop it. But it's also, it's also um, I think, important to know that the weeds grow whether we want them to or not. The weeds are going to grow, but the kingdom's going to grow. The, the, the crop is going to grow as well. Jesus' point is that's the way, this is the way it's going to be until the end of the age. This is the way it's going to be until I come back and change it all. There's going to be good, but there's going to be evil. That's just the way it's going to be. If we're understanding Jesus's kingdom uh, parables correctly, then our understanding debunks another churchy phrase. Um, So and so's actions have harmed the cause of Christ. You may have heard that said before. I've said it before that some, this certain person did a certain thing and it harmed the cause of Jesus. Well, according to this parable, nothing can harm the cause of Christ. No one can can come against the cause of the kingdom. Not the enemy or his bad seeds, not uh, a Christian who, you know, sins publicly. Not the worst false teacher this world has ever seen can come against the cause of the kingdom. The kingdom grows in and of itself. The kingdom is at work all the time. The kingdom of Jesus is sovereign totally over both the wheat and the weeds. So the only real question left for us to ask, questions left for us to ask ourselves is this. Whose side are you on? And whose methods do you choose to use to deal with the problem? Whose side are you on? Whose methods do you choose to use to deal with the problem? If you're trusting in Jesus, then you've been sown into the kingdom of God. You've been sown into the eternal, unassailable, all-powerful kingdom of God if you're not trusting in Jesus, could it be possible that you're a weed? That's for you to answer. That's between you and God. Notice really quickly, I didn't say, if you attend church, you're sown into the kingdom of God. I didn't say that. Notice I didn't say, if you serve, you're sown into the kingdom of God. I didn't say that either. If you give financially, you're sown into the kingdom of God didn't come out of my mouth. If you trust in Jesus, you're sown into his kingdom. Let me pray for you this morning. God, we love you. We thank you for your word, this challenging word. God, I have been challenged this morning. I pray for everyone else um, that, that we would allow your word to do its work in our heart this morning. No matter where we're at with this word today, God, I pray that you would, we would allow you to do your work in our heart. And God, help us to trust you more. Help us to, to trust that you have got it all taken care of. You've got it all planned out. Teach us how to trust in you more and more. And teach us how to trust in ourselves less and less. Teach us how to trust in our world less and less. And less. Thank you, God. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen. In just a moment, we're going to go into a time of uh, reflection. But before we do that, I want to I want to participate in communion. So you can get your communion emblems out and get them prepared. Um, communion is simply a command from Jesus to remember. Command from Jesus to remember. What he did for us and what it means. Um, I want to read um, read out of uh, 1 Corinthians for you really quickly. It's 1 Corinthians 11. It says, For I pass on to you what I have received from the Lord, On the night when he was uh, betrayed, the Lord Jesus took some bread and gave thanks to God for it. Then he broke it in, in pieces and said, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took a cup of wine after supper saying this cup is the new covenant between god and his people an agreement confirmed with my blood do this in remembrance of me as often as you drink it for every time you eat this bread and drink this cup you are announcing the lord's death until he comes again so anyone who eats this bread or drinks this cup of the lord unworthily is guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the lord that is why you should examine yourselves before eating the bread and drinking the cup. So here at Anchor, we practice open communion, and what that means is you don't have to be a member of our church to receive communion. You just have to be a member of the body of Christ. So um, we're going to we're going to um, take the advice of the scriptures and take a moment to examine ourselves. Um, I've heard some people. Um, make the excuse, well, I just, I'm not in a place right now where I can take communion. Just, I've done too many bad things. That's exactly what this is for. This is for us to get ourselves right again with God and, and to observe this command that Jesus gave us. So um, we're going to take just a moment to, to examine ourselves. Uh, we're going to um, take just a few moments of silence to examine ourselves. So let's do that right now. Let's examine ourselves in this moment. Scripture says that the night that Jesus was going to be betrayed, he was having supper with his disciples, and he took the bread and he broke it. He said, this represents my body, which is going to be broken for you. Every time you eat it, remember what I did for you. So right now, let's partake of the bread together. Let's let's remember what Jesus did for us. Then he took the cup. And he said, this cup represents my blood, the blood of a new covenant between God and and us. Every time you drink it, remember, remember what I've done for you. So let's partake of this together right now. God, thank you. Thank you for this moment Thank you for this moment to examine ourselves, to remember you, to remember what you've done, to bring us into a right relationship with you. I pray, God, that um, you would speak to each and every one of us right now in the name of Jesus. What I want to do right now is I want, I want to just go into a couple minutes of, of response. I, I, want, I don't want anyone to rush through the moment right now. I want us to allow the Holy Spirit to continue His work. Um, so the worship team is going to lead us in a song, and you can feel free to sing along with the song. You can pray. You can meditate on what you just heard or what, however you need to respond. But let's not, let's not miss a moment to respond to the Spirit of God this morning. So if you'd like, you can stand with me, and the worship team is going to lead us. Worship team. God, thank you. Thank you for this day. Thank you for this opportunity to come and worship together. I pray, God, that we would continue to allow you to speak to us, allow you to reveal the secrets of the kingdom to us as we examine um, your parables, your words from Scripture. We love you. We thank you. Um, before we go, uh, I have some next steps for us. And these are, these are just tangible things we can do to take the message and apply them to our life this week. So the first one is this. This week, I'll examine myself to find whether or not I'm bearing the fruit of the kingdom and whose side are you on and whose methods do you choose to use to deal with the problem? um next is this week i'll memorize matthew 13 41 the son of man will send his angels and they will remove from his kingdom everything that causes sin and all who do evil it's not our job to abolish evil it's our job to trust in the lord and finally this week i'll read the parable of the mustard seed and the leaven in luke chapter 13. Um, this is our next parable that we're talking about next weekend so um if you want to uh, get a head start, you can read read that parable. So uh, let me say one last prayer, and we can be dismissed this morning. God, we love you. We thank you. Um, be with us today. And finally, may the living presence of Christ be with you all. May the life-giving power of God sustain you all, and may the perfect light of the Holy Spirit shine within you now and forever. Amen and amen. Thanks for being here this morning, everyone. Thanks for worshiping with us. Have a great week. We will see you next Sunday.